Welcome to the Cutting Onions Podcast, episode 21. In this episode, I sit down with the person responsible for me getting into the restaurant business, my first franchisee, Art Phillips. Art is a legend in the McDonald's system. His accomplishments are too numerous to mention, but we discuss a few of them here, including the order by number system. Yep, that was an idea Art shared in a meeting three decades ago that ended up getting pitched to McDonald's Corporation Upper Management and the rest is history. In this podcast interview, we had a wide-ranging conversation about his career, his love for the McDonald's brand, how to save money for that first restaurant, and investing ahead of the business to build a strong culture. We discussed his incredible impact not only on the Kansas City region, but the entire McDonald's system. From his first job at Steak and Shake as a car hop to his start with McDonald's on March 1st, 1966, making a dollar an hour, to buying his first store in 1978, to becoming an iconic operator for almost four decades. Enjoy this amazing conversation with Art Phillips, and we'll see you on the other side. Can you tell us who you are and how you got here, how you got going in this business, and what that looks like for you? First off, I, I'll give recognition to my Lord and Savior. I, I can't do anything without uh, without him, and I, w- I want to follow his 100%. leadership and uh, walk the way he wants me to walk. So awesome. uh, everything else I say is, uh, you know, again, to point to how he's directed me in my life and um, how I've tried to uh, uh, best represent him. Okay? Awesome. Um, so at any rate, uh, I got started when I was... You know, pretty young. I started with Steak and Shake back when I was 15 years old, right. uh, waiting on um, car as car hop. And uh, through that car hop, I wound up uh, enjoying the restaurant business. But I didn't like the colds because you had to work outside a lot. So I applied for McDonald's uh, and got hired uh, March 1st, 1966. And um, I love that you remember the date. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was easy to do, so it's March 1st. <laughs> but uh, I wound up uh, working for, uh, it was probably a month and a half, two months, you know, I guess got cl- kind of close to three months. And I'd actually gotten a dime raise, but uh, I just said, you know, a dollar and a dime, you know, I was making a dollar to start with, got to a dime. I gotta have more money than this, and I've got to find another job. So I went to my uh, manager. His name was Rudy Olson, okay. and I said, "Rudy, I, I want to have to put in my two weeks' notice. I've, I've got to earn more money than what I'm getting." And he said, "No, I, I understand." So, and two days went by on that uh, two-week notice, and came back to me and said, uh, "Art, uh, got a s- situation for you here. We're looking for an assistant manager." And we'd like for you to uh, consider McDonald's as a vocation. And I said, uh, okay, uh, why don't you take the uh, rest of the two weeks and think about it and let us know what your decision is. Well, I go home, you know, and I'm talking to the wife, and I say, you know, I really don't have no irons in the fire. I'm not, you know, I'm just so much saying i got to learn, you know. And I, I really do like what I'm doing. So uh, they're going to give me a dollar sixty-five an hour to start, and I said that's a nice hefty raise. So uh, I went back in a few days later and said I'll take the offer. Great. First paycheck I got. I'm earning a dollar fifty an hour. I look at that. I take it back to the manager and I said it kind of shard me a little bit here. It's supposed to be a dollar sixty-five. And said, you know what? I, I I tried the best I could. I wanted the dollar sixty-five, but the owners wouldn't go for it. I, I could only get a dollar fifty. And so at that point in my short McDonald's career, I had a, a choice to make: Do I go ahead and continue to work and prove you owe me that money, or do I pack it in and say, No, you lied to me, and I you know I need more integrity than, than that. Well, obviously, my choice was I'm going to stick it out and I'm going to prove you owe me the money. Three months later, I'd gone through the management training program and got promoted to an assistant manager. So I've been 
with McDonald's for six months about that time and wound up getting uh, promoted to assistant manager. Three months further down the line, I'm in it about nine months, I'm so impressed with McDonald's. Uh, you know, just the lines of people that are coming in, just the hustle, the bustle. And I think loving sports and competition and all that kind of helped give me an edge as far as uh, my thinking in life and how I was relating to pressure and stuff yep. like that that sometimes the system would put on you. And uh, I went to my manager and said, look, hey, I'm sold on this business. I really love what I'm doing. Tell me what I got to do to own one. And he said, well, first thing is is that <clears throat> you need uh, about 45000 in the bank that you can put down. Then you need to be able to have the ability to go out and borrow another forty-five or fifty thousand dollars. And at that point, my my whole being just kind of dropped a little bit, and I said, "Well, <laughs> give me my next paycheck. I need to put food on the table and pay the house payment, and you know all that." Because I, I was buying a house at that time too. So, and uh, uh, so I figured, okay, I've I've got to I've got some work to do. I've got to start saving money. Again, I'm new, I'm young, uh, about 18, going on 19 years of age, uh, and I'm, I'm thinking, okay, how do I do this? Well, I worked hard, I worked, you know, and I tried to do what I could do with my investments and stuff like that. Five years goes by, I'm doing a check. Where am I at now with what I got and what I need? Well, my total assets, I was probably worth about twenty-five, three thousand dollars at that time. I now needed over a hundred thousand dollars. I needed about one hundred fifty, hundred sixty thousand dollars. Because the requirements kept raising as time went by. That's right. That's correct. Right. And inflation was just uh, eating me alive. So, um, talked to uh, you know the, my manager and all and. Uh, he and I talked about maybe, uh, you know, looking at, uh, you know, Dairy Queen, maybe a mom and restaurant, uh, you know, that type of thing. So we went on a hunt. We looked at different uh, franchises, different mom and things like that, and really came back that can't beat McDonald's and really liked it and didn't do anything. So I'm, I'm there setting, you know, okay, we took a few years to do that. How is it now that I get the money that I need? So I thought, okay, real estate is, is probably a good investment. So I started buying houses that were in distress. I fixed them up. I do all the work myself, put in a new kitchen, HVAC, run the ductwork through the ceiling. And I didn't all that. know this part of your story. This is yeah. amazing. I didn't know this. So, you know, I, you know, because nobody had any money that they were going to give me. My mom and dad uh, right. weren't wealthy or anything, so uh, they were supportive. But at the same time, uh, uh, my dad was very good with giving me uh, the knowledge I needed to do the uh, home improvements that I needed to work on. But uh, I bought several houses, um, started building my assets. In fact, they started growing pretty rapidly. Uh, I didn't keep a house over a year. Um, I, I say that tongue-in-cheek in that I did keep one house that I rented out and was able to, to get income off of that. Then I wound up um, going to the wife, and we, we were looking at a new house. Now, this is a break in my strategy. I wasn't really sure on, you know, whether I should do this or not. But it shows where God kind of comes into this picture. Bought a house for 62.5, a colonial house, brand new, set up on a hill, trees everywhere. Just gorgeous setting. And uh, about three months, four months, something like that after we were in the house, the developer sells the development to another construction company. Starts building houses exactly the same as ours, right in the middle of a hundred, hundred and ten thousand dollar homes. Immediately, my sixty-two thousand dollar, five hundred home shoots up to a hundred thousand dollars at least. Wow! So, you know, turn around. You know, I'm thinking, okay, I can, I can sell this, and uh, I might have the money I need. 
at that time, they were getting ready to open a McDonald's in Poplar Bluff, Missouri. Uh, that's where the wife was from and uh, still had family down there. And, um, at the time, I had uh, moved from uh, being uh, just assistant manager. I'd already moved into being store manager. And at this point in time in my life, I was a supervisor. Yep. And part of my uh, uh, job responsibility for Bill White and Don Keel in St. Louis was uh, to director of training and development. So I um, had meetings at the regional office and stuff. And after one of my meetings, I went to a friend of mine that I knew that um, you know could help me with my franchising question. And I went to him and I said, you know, hey, picture this. You know, hometown girl comes home to operate local McDonald's. I said, that's got to be a winner. He said, well, you, where's this at? And I said, Popper Bluff. And he said, you want to be an, uh, an operator? And I said, absolutely. Sold hook, line, and sinker. He said, well, I tell you what. Take this application. Fill it out. Get it back to me. I'll get it to Chicago and get you in touch with me. You need to talk to me. I said, okay, I said, that sounds great. He said, one thing I want to ask you, don't tell so. You keep this between you and you keep it between me. That's it. And of course, your wife. Right. But, um, so anyway, I go home and sit down with her and I asked her, I said, how do you like your house? She said, I love my house. How do you want to sell it? I want to sell it. We're going to sell the house. <laughs> We're going to turn it into McDonald's. <laughs> and, um, you know, she had her tearful moments, you know, and stuff like that. And But uh, she knew that in the long haul that that was going to be the better choice to, right. to make. Right. So um, we wound up uh, putting a house up for sale. I filled out the application, sent it back to him. About a month or two later, I get this call from Doug Morland who was the franchising manager for our area okay. and um, out of Chicago. And uh, I knew Doug from his days in St. Louis and working with the operators and stuff like that. So it's kind of one of those things where that, uh, you know, I, I got, you know, I got somebody I know, I, you know, I'm going to go up and interview with. So anyway, we wound up getting a date set, uh, going to go to Chicago. His wife and I fly up there. Walk into his office. He comes in. Art, how you doing? It's been such a long time. Takes my application. Throws it down on the desk and said, Art, where do you want to go? That was my interview. Wow. Yes. So, so here's what I think is so amazing about that, Art. And I want to go back to your story. When you were promoted, you thought you were going to be making $1.65 an hour. Right. But you weren't. Correct. You got a decision to make at that point. Correct. Do I stay or not? Correct. So, as you think about that moment in Doug's office, he throws that application down on the table and asks where you want to go. I think that's a really powerful lesson for stick to itiveness, knowing what your goals are, and being able to stick with it. Absolutely. That's amazing. Yeah. Too many times, uh, and uh, you know, as an operator, or even as uh, you know, assistant manager, manager, yep. supervisor. I talk to people, and uh, they, oh, I want to do this, I want to do that. You know, I'm going to work for this, work for that. And I'd sit back and say, well, then why are you doing this? Right, right, because that, that doesn't that, align. That, that, that doesn't go with yeah. this. And um, you know, so I, I, I think a lot of people, you know, that I was able to talk to like that, kind of woke up a little bit and um, you know helped them out. So. So did you tell Doug you wanted to go to Poplar Bluff, Missouri? <laughs> that was not available. And yes, we did talk about that. And he said, no, unfortunately, he said, that, that one's already taken. Uh, but I'm working on a deal. And he said, it, uh, it's going to take me a little bit to put this together for you, but uh, we're going to get this done. And I said, okay. So we go um, to the Hancock Tower in Chicago. went to the top of the tower there and uh, had uh, uh, a dinner. Wow. And uh, then we, you know, went back to our hotel, stayed there, and got up the next day and flew back to, you know, St. Louis. And I told them that at the time that I wanted to stay in St. Louis would be my preference or in the area because I knew the operators there and I knew uh, the surroundings sure. and, 
you know, his wine distribution, all that stuff. Right. So, um, I said, okay, that's fine. And uh, I kept getting these phone calls from him, you know, two, three weeks later, you know, and, you know, I'm working on it, I'm sorry it's taking so long, you know, Check it's it little, in. Yeah. You know, just make sure you're okay, and, and uh, I say, yeah, I'm just uh, looking forward to getting going with this, and I must have had three or four of those phone calls from him, you know, like two or three months goes by, and uh, really kind of getting a little anxious. Right. And, uh, but yet at the same time, trying to be patient, because I, I really believe it was going to happen. And one day he called me on the phone and said, once not you go look at the site? New store, Highland, Illinois, 30 miles east of St. Louis. So I went over to Highland, Illinois, a small town, and uh, wound up uh, talking to the guy that was assigned the store. Um, him and his wife uh, uh, were being offered two stores instead of buying the one. And they were going to be over in um, Hutchinson, Kansas, and that area. Right. So, at any rate, uh, I wound up uh, saying uh, yes to the, the deal. I figured, you know, hey, get my feet in the door. Yes. Uh, show what I can do. Yep. And uh, grow from there. So, we did and bought Highland. And the first year, it did a little less than $700,000. Uh, and was next, this pre breakfast? Or was this after breakfast? Uh, free. Free, yeah. Oh, wait a minute. No, 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 no. Let me, let me correct that. Breakfast had already rolled. Okay. Because breakfast rolled in like St. Se- Louis like 71. 71, okay. Yeah. I knew it was yeah. early 70s. Okay. Yeah. And uh, this, uh, the time frame on this was 78. So, with a drive through or no drive through With a drive through With a drive through Okay. Right. And we had, uh, we were uh, in a situation where that we were, building the restaurant right and we were real close to opening i mean i had crew hired crew trained uh, uh management uh, mike Grimaud, I, you remember of course him? he was uh him. and uh, brian uh, brian uh, was uh, another one brian um forgot his last name but had uh, two managers that i worked with in st louis that uh i wound up getting in touch with that uh, you know decided to come back to McDonald's and uh, go to work for me so that gave me experienced people in key positions to be able to hit the ground running also help with training and everything problem was is that um, the union in the uh, southern Illinois area the Saluki area that down there went on strike was the hide carriers who went on strike we had about a foot of brick delay on our trash corral area. Nothing on the building. Trash corral area. <laughs> and they shut us down. Shut us down for, what was it, uh, three months almost? Wow. And here I am dying on the vine. Right. I mean, so whenever I got into the store and got into the business, I lost some profitable um, uh, period of time business. Of yeah. And so now I'm coming into later in the year, October the 9th, when we open. And so I got all the investment going in as far as the training. Now I got to retrain, uh, figure out who I got and who I lost and all that. And, uh, you know, I had to retain managers, so I'm paying them sure. uh, a fee to make sure I retain them. And uh, wound up getting the store open, but I'm opening it with a deficit. And then I turn around getting into a bad winter. So about the first six to seven months, I didn't have any black on the bottom line. It was all red. And uh, so I was kind of getting a a dose of uh, neglect there, I guess. Right, right, right. (laughs) Neglecting myself. Right. But uh, um, it turned around and business started picking up started growing and um, you know started to make money and uh, had that store for three years and uh, wound up in 1981 selling it yep. and moving to Marshall Missouri right from uh, Marshall in 1982 I bought the NAR7 store in uh, Blue Springs yep. and then in 1983 opened the Higginsville store Higginsville was an interesting store. That was one where that 
the uh, it's like a small town model, right? It's one town. of the first ones, right? Right. It yeah. was uh, actually it was only three in the country okay. that was built. Okay. And uh, a couple of them were up in Nebraska that I went up to visit and stuff like that. So, and uh, the uh, problem that I ran into trying to get that store open was is that the uh, we had all kinds of uh, accidents. For example, the road sign. They're putting the road sign up. And it was a 60-foot sign. Right. Their boom truck went 59 feet. And they're trying to get that thing up, and they just can't do it, so they're going to have to call for another boom. Well, instead of letting the sign down, they just backed away and said, you know, we're going to call somebody else to take, take a look at it and get another truck out here. The arches fell. Boy, you should have seen that picture on the headlines of the newspaper. <laughs> Arches fall. <laughs> Nobody got hurt. That was a good thing. That is a good thing. But we had uh, had construction workers that uh, wound up getting a lot of stitches in their hands, their arms, their legs, uh, because of carelessness or one thing or another. The opening of Higginsville went extremely well, and it really was a successful opening for that small town concept. Of course, Art had another small town McDonald's already in the community of Marshall, Missouri. But it was really North 7 Highway in Blue Springs that he bought in 1982 that was the bread and butter of the organization in those days we pick up the interview with art as he discusses the transition of the previous owner to his ownership and what he did with the management team there and how he was able to identify talent that no one else was able to recognize this set a great example for me and many other people in the organization for many years to come I can remember a couple of the managers you worked with, Bonnie Gensler, yeah, and Sharon absolutely, Time. absolutely. And uh, a little quick story on them: uh, uh, they were uh, working at the restaurant whenever I uh, purchased it, and um, the uh, store manager that was there uh, sat down and talked with me the day before we took over. And he explained that uh, he loved our goals. He loved what uh, our vision was because we had uh, discussed sure. that with everybody. Right. It's one. I can't hit my, you know, I, there's no secret with a, a goal or a vision, you know, you, you share that so people that's can right. help you get there, you, otherwise you're working in a vacuum, and it's, uh, that just doesn't work very well. So, um, he came to me and said, look, I love your goals, I love what you want to do, he said, but I'm just not the person to get you there. And I said, I appreciate your honesty, so he quit. And um, I'm watching um, both um, Bonnie and Sharon. And um, one day, I, t- I said, I want to talk to the both of you. Yeah. They both went, oh, okay. And they just kind of, oh, okay. Just and like they, that, too. Yeah, just, just like that. It, no, it, They walked out, and they were sitting in the lobby, you know, and I, and I come out to join them. And yeah. little did I know, they thought I was coming out to fire. Wow. Because of the environment that they were used to. Yeah. The uh, of course. different ownership right. and stuff like right. that. And uh, I walked down and I said, i got to ask you guys a question. Why is it you're not managing and running this store? They both turned and they looked at each other. <laughs> Who is this guy? <laughs> what is he talking about? How <laughs> run this store? What language is he speaking? Yes. And I said, it seems to me like you've been doing just that. Yeah. And um, I'd like to give both of you the opportunity to be a part of the management staff, and uh, and let's uh, you know run this, and let's get the goals we want together. Boy, they just they were on fire. They were beaming, and uh, just that. couldn't believe that uh, I saw the talent and the abilities that they had. And that was one of the things that I I feel like in my life I've been blessed with is I've been able to look at people. And I've been able to see their strength where they may not necessarily be able to see it. Um, Janet Myers was uh, another one of those uh, people that uh, hired that uh, um, she did not uh, you know, recognize her strengths, didn't see her strengths, uh, but was able to pull them out. Um, Stacey Waller, uh, another one. I, I kind of kid him. I said, you know... These people here, I'm so proud of. I found them laying in the gutter one day and just <laughs> pulled them up, brushed them off, and then, now look at them today. That's you know? right. But uh, you know, had uh, had great times with them too. And uh, you know, people ask me, "What do you miss about the business?" It's the people. Sure. 
Bottom line. You know, that whole group of us at that time, it really was like a family. Yeah. It really, really was. Right. Like, I went to school with a lot of... Stacy and I went to school together. We graduated together. And, you know, you know, obviously Janet and, and just everyone there. But my favorite Sharon Kime story, my favorite story ever about Sharon, somehow I, I closed with her pretty much every Friday night. Mm-hmm. And they were always... Super busy nights. Mm-hmm. This was before. This was when there was one high school. This was before there was two high schools right. in Blue Springs. It was still incredibly busy. And I remember one of my favorite story. I love it. I hadn't been there very long. One night, the kids were just out of control. This was before the remodel. So this was, you know, right before that. And Sharon went out to the dining room, stood on a table. I'm not making this up. Stood on a table and got every kid in that in that dining room to be quiet and pay attention to her and they just they settled right down it was awesome I'm like <laughs> nobody can do that but Sharon there you go I mean it was it was awesome it's interesting uh, you, you bring that up because uh, when we did take the store over the nights were basically um, young people that were coming in and uh, they were all uh, most of them were probably pretty good but but there were a few uh, rowdies that uh, created us some problems. Uh, we had to have security uh, police working uh, for yep. us. A little later. And uh, did that for several years. And uh, we finally got together and said, how can we turn this around? We, we want to build a business, but yet what's happening is, is that our current clientele is chasing away clientele that have families and, you know, where the money's at. And, right. Uh, uh, they're not able to experience uh, the McDonald's uh, system and um, you know the quality of product we yeah. have because they're you know afraid to come. Right. How do we change that? So we uh, you know set out a plan to uh, try to change that and that environment and was able to do so. Took us a few years, but uh, made it a safe place. Yep. Uh, didn't need the security guards anymore. Yep. The police officers and. Um, all turned out great. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you've done such an amazing job of just really organically answering so much of what I was going to ask you. I mean, the obstacles, the hurdles you faced in your journey, how you overcame them. And one thing we haven't talked about directly, and I know it's tied back to that conversation that you had way back in the beginning of your career, but the moment that you decided you wanted to be a leader, right? Mm-hmm. I know that obviously making more money was attractive at the time right right but was that the moment that you realized you wanted to be a leader or was it after you actually got going and started doing it that you realized it or or did you already know that you wanted to be a leader no i think i was too young and uh this was only my technically my second job okay um and i I had no idea where it was going to take me to or anything like that so um you know i had to you know find my way with that and um it just, uh, you know, the way the system was set up and designed, uh, it was easy to fall in love with. You, you, you experienced that yourself. I did. And um, so I, uh, you know, I wound up, uh, you know, whenever I asked uh, the manager, what do, what do I got to do to run one of these, to own a McDonald's? Right. I had made my mind up yeah, that time up. that I, yeah. I wanted to, uh, so, yeah, it took nine months, call it, so. Yeah. So you, over the years, have been such an incredible leader really an icon in the industry uh, I know to me and to really the thousands of people that you've led over the years so as you think back over your career if you could just share one just one leadership tip that you think has helped you the most and that you've seen help other leaders like what would that tip be like what would you share well first off I, I, I was nothing without my people okay so keep that in mind. Being able to um, select the right people, and by doing that, I really felt as though I knew what my strengths were, but I needed to find somebody that had a different strength than what I had. Right. I did not need people that was going to be yes people. Yep. I wanted people that would challenge me, uh, not be afraid to challenge me, and um, so that was... Every time I was out, I'm looking for people's strengths and uh, um, and how does that fit with with my strength and uh, you know if it, if we're 
equals on strengths, how can I use them in a different part? Don't sure. want to discount them or anything, right. but how can I use them? But as far as the big picture of growth and the strategy of uh, building the business, you know, I wanted to have people that um, uh, weren't yes people that uh, weren't afraid to really just sit down and say, uh, have you thought about doing it this way? Love it. So That's awesome. And that's so important because I think that if you don't challenge the process, then no one gets better. Correct. Right? You just continue down the path you've always been on. Right. And it might even be a good path. That's not really the point. The point is, how's it going to become excellent? How are you going to become excellent in what you're trying to do? give you a cute little story. Uh, this uh, goes to opening the uh, Concordia store. And I believe that was in uh, 86 87? or 87. 87. Maybe the fall of 86? I'm trying to remember. Uh, I know we opened Oak Grove in 86, so it must have been 87. It must have been 87. Yep. And that's right. Yep. That's right. And... Um, uh, I get this picture taken of me where I'm standing here, point, you know, like this. And I have my suit on and all that. And um, manager's meeting, I'm saying, guys, you know, I want somebody to impress me. You know, you, you know, and we were talking about the goals and, and who was going to perform those objectives and get the job done more efficiently than everybody else so that we could take that as a model and move forward. Yeah. And uh, so I'm saying impress me. And uh, all of a sudden, I came into a manager's meeting, and here are T-shirts being presented to everybody with a picture of me on it at Concordia. My figure up like that impressed me. <laughs> I, love I was impressed. I love it. I love it. Yeah. That's awesome. So, you know, over your career, over my career, over my 35 years, you know, there are certain things that we just did kind of organically and we didn't really have names for it right like we didn't really call leadership development that that's not what we called it right it was called training right right um you know we didn't really have words like culture back then right it was trying to do the right thing right but now culture's become a huge buzzword in and out of the industry and it's important so so i guess my question for you is and then i have a follow-up to this too but why is culture important? What makes culture so important? Well, I think it's because uh, we as a society are becoming so diversified. And uh, we've got uh, such a mix and a blend. And um, people are coming to us with different educational and, and values. Sure. That, uh, um, I think that we have to somehow adapt to uh, understanding uh, what their needs are. And if we can do that, right? Um, because their culture has trained them or taught them yeah. how to do things, um, I think we can learn from that. So absolutely. So it's not just about trying to like instill. Don't the make them. Fit, don't want. make them right. fit in our mold. Let's yeah. let's you know, let's learn what they've experienced so we can grow. Absolutely, the best idea wins. Right. Yeah. No, I love that. So when you think back over your career, Art, how how have you taken that idea of you know, building a strong culture because we had such a, a strong culture in McCann management. I mean, it was incredibly strong, incredibly healthy. So, so how do you take that culture and how do you connect that to the larger vision that you had for the organization? Well, part of it had to do, I think, with my training that I was given and um, in some of the classes I went, like Adventures in Attitudes. Uh, uh, I took a Dale Carnegie course uh, that uh, right. uh, all applied to uh, to that. And to be able to um, uh, train people on how you um, communicate to different uh, people at different levels. Yep. You, know, you got somebody that's yelling at you. Are you going to yell back? Right. You know, or how are you going to get them on the same level with you so that you can wind up um, coming up with the idea that's going to fix whatever the problem is? And stay focused on the problem. Don't let the surroundings and the environment uh, derail you. I love that. Too many times we get derailed because we become emotional just like whoever it is we're talking to is yep. emotional. So. Yep. We're all passionate right. to it, to sometimes to a fault, and some people are a little more um, uh, passionate maybe than others. It's so, true. It's so true. we uh, we have to know how to deal with that uh, and to tame it, uh, while at the same time um, 
putting it in in such a way that it's going to explode out and it's going to you know really reach a lot of people so many times uh, I think we take a um, a system and we try to keep the system in this area here to work it over here things like that the systems to me are designed to explode out yep. get the systems out there yep. you know because that's where it's going to make the difference absolutely you know I was just sitting here you said something earlier it made me think of this and I just want to kind of take a minute for this I'm just kind of thinking about culture and I'm thinking about what you created and I'm thinking about I think you said this early on in the conversation but way back in the very beginning of your career you were identified by your manager as someone that had some potential they came to you and said hey Art we'd love for you to take a look at this right right you've given your notice right 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 you were two days into that notice right they saw something in you that you didn't see in yourself correct at the time correct and you said earlier that you feel like that and I would agree that, that you have the ability to see things in people that they don't see in themselves. Correct. That's certainly true for me. Certainly true for my story. Uh, you know, when I think about you and I think about Sharon and Wanda and Brenda and, you know, everyone that was kind of that core group back in 84 when I started. Right. So, so when you think about that, is that something that when you, and I know you were intentional about it, but were you always trying to find those opportunities to look for people that could do more? Is that something that was just a part of your DNA as a result of what happened with you? Yeah, I, I, I believe so. I want to believe that anyway. And I've always always kind of felt as though, let's look for our weakest link. Yeah. Because our weakest link in the store is that's how good we are. Yep, 100%. And we got we got to move that that level up. Yep, yep. Um, you're always going to have someone you're going to rate the lowest. Sure. But that lowest needs to be pretty high. Right, right. No, that makes total sense. So as you think about your long career now and knowing everything that you know now, what piece of advice would you give your 25-year-old self? Never give up. Never give up. You, you know where you want to go. Stay on the pathway that's going to get you there. Don't get yourself derailed. Don't uh, start looking to the left, looking to the right focus. I think what is so compelling about your story, Art, is that in this age of high-speed everything, mm-hmm. high-speed internet, you know, you know, everything's fast. Everything's faster. Everything moves faster. I think technology has certainly made things move faster, but, but when I think about your story, I think what makes it so powerful is that, I mean, you had to wait two or three months like in between the time you first had the conversation, even find out if you were going to be considered to buy a store, right? Right, and then just the time that it took to move to that point where you were able to open in Highland, Illinois, right? Right. Operating that, three more years to get to Marshall, right? Another year to get to Highway Seven to North Seven. So, I mean, I think that there's so much patience in your story. And I tried to enjoy the ride. Yeah. Wow. Wow. A couple other things, you know, throw on ahead. Uh, you know, the the thing that, you know, from a McDonald's standpoint, you know, you have a partner, a business partner. Yep. And they're always looking to what are your contributions sure. to the system. You know, besides running, you know, good operations, having good people, being impressive, uh, you know, where the customer really just loves, you know. Yeah, we, we always tried to set it up to where the, the store manager was the owner. Yeah. Let them feel that ownership. Yeah. Uh, and try not to get into a situation where you're overriding that store manager. Yeah. Uh, you know, because if you start overriding them, now all of a sudden they lose confidence, they lose faith. And Absolutely. Like so what we uh, tried to do is try to put ourselves in a situation to where that, um, you know, we present maybe a case to the manager saying, oh, this is what you, you know, right. take a look at it. Right. You make the decision from here. Right. You know, now they got more information. Now they can make a better decision. And uh, sometimes uh, managers would change their mind on the decision they made and come up with a better uh, choice. But um, going back to uh, being a visionary, um, 
the uh, system that is out there now, what, the one, two, three, four uh, in McDonald's. Well, kind of. I'll try to make a long story short. Uh, we went to a uh, uh, it was a owners meeting on marketing, and uh, we're sitting down and uh, is here in Kansas City. And they were saying, let's go around the, ta- the the room and let's ask the individual operators what type of marketing uh, plan or what uh, promotion should we consider for this coming year. I'm kind of sitting mid, uh, in the middle of the, the room, sort of, sort of, as we kind of come around. And uh, they came to me and, Art, what do you, what do you think? I said, um, what, if, what if we did like... Uh, a meal combo, a one, two, three, four item. This is one of my proudest we, moments for you. Where we wound this. up, you know, uh, you know, and we discounted, uh, you know, maybe twenty five cents. Sure. You know, and I said, uh, think of the the simplification of ordering and, and everything like that. Speed of service um, improves all those things, right? And and so kind of talked about it, and, and they just you know, the one thing I didn't calculate in that was that when you bundle things like that. Your profitable items are the fries and the drinks. Now you're selling more of those. Your food cost all of a sudden gets better, and Absolutely. all of a sudden the operators are making more money. And um, so they sat there and they were looking at me. They'd occasionally turn and look at each other. I mean, maybe a couple minutes. I mean, it, it was kind of eerie. And uh, I finally I went like this. I said, well, "What do you think?" <laughs> And uh, one, uh, one of the uh, leads for the uh, marketing department said, uh, well, uh, Art, I, I think that most of the operators in this room are not in favor of a discount. And that kind of would uh, shoot that program, you know, to pieces. And I said, okay, my thought. And uh, so they moved on down the road. About four operators, five operators down, Al Browder was there. Al's no longer with us, right. but I mean, he... Um, he spoke up and said, we should go back to Art's idea. I like that idea. Why don't we consider that? Well, from that, um, they said, uh, you know, what, what have you got? And at the time, I had uh, Joe Fernandez as a business consultant. Right. And I, I talked to Joe, and I said, Joe, I said, uh, you know, let's put this together. Help me with this, uh, you know, presentation. And Joe came in, and we literally built a, a presentation that I could take out and try to show operators what it looked like, POP, menu board, the whole bit. And uh, they uh, came to me and said, uh, Art, your idea is so big, it's bigger than us. You need to take that to Chicago. They got me a a meeting in the war room uh, with all the top marketing um, companies in the system and all the top uh, marketing agents with McDonald's. And uh, I went up to make this uh, this presentation. Now, what I added in the presentation was not only the one, two, three, four, but I also took it to one, two, three, four, large. Okay, that was phase two. And the reason I placed a phase two in the program is because I said this thing, once we implement this, our competition is gonna ca- catch on. To the ease and the, of the ordering and, and uh, That's right. everything and, and the product we're selling and all. And uh, they're, they're going to want to do it too. Well, we need to have phase two in our pocket. Yes. And this is phase two, a large size. And then we want to have a third phase. <laughs> and they made a movie out of this one. <laughs> Super size. <laughs> yes, they did. <laughs> so, anyway, that, make a long story short. Uh, uh, I wanted them to start in Kansas City. They said, "Well, we gotta, we're going to do that in California, and we want to, you know, we got to have a diversity as far as different places. And if it didn't work out there, you know, it might work somewhere else and all that." So, at any rate, it uh, took us a little while to get it, but uh, it was something that uh, eventually we got. Um, another thing that was a contri- uh, contribution that I made was. Uh, Back in the mid-90s, the corporation raised uh, franchise fees and uh, uh, their, uh, uh, oh, 
forget the other fee, what it's called, but they they raised the royalties. The royalties, yeah, yeah, yeah. they raised those. And, uh, yeah. Every operator in the country just went ballistic, and I mean the the the, the phone lines are being lit up with uh, our representatives and and stuff like that. So I sit down and I write a letter to top management, and uh, I was like the other operators, but I put it in written form, and I did it very professionally. I explained to them that uh, as an operator, I'm disappointed that we had to do this, but I said, uh, we're in business too, and you're in business, and you've got to make money, and uh, we understand that. Uh, However, maybe there's things that we can do that uh, have not been brought to the table yet that will keep us from ever having to do this again in blindside, you know, operators or whatever. And uh, so I laid out the plan for the future of the company. And I, I said, you know, we've got a lot of operators that shouldn't be operators, start there. As business partners, you need to be investing some money back in and get, get some green into, yeah. you know, the business. Some skin and, in the game. Yeah, and so at any rate, I, I laid that all out and that letter not only hit top management, but it hit the, the McDonald operators that represented the system uh, in Chicago. And I'm getting phone calls. Art, you don't know what that letter did. That letter, everybody's reading it. Everybody loves it. Great idea. You're the only operator in the entire system that complained but had a solution. Nobody else had a solution gave the system direction and so I, I wound up that piece of contribution is still being enacted on today you can see it happen as, as we speak one of the other ones you drive down the highway and you see the Missouri State Highway signs that say McDonald's next exit yep was the catalyst behind dealing with the state of Missouri and writing letters and talking to people on the phone that were in charge in Jefferson City at the time um, about uh, highway, uh, you know, development right. and improvements and um, that type of thing. And um, other states had it, so it was nothing new as far as an idea was concerned. But we didn't have it in the state of Missouri. Wound up through all the letters, all the communication, wound up getting that for us in the system in the state of Missouri. Wow. So those are some some of the contributions that made as we went along the way. Nightly specials really worked for us. It was a matter of is it working for the system? And that's that's something that a lot of people are a little afraid to do because you discount every night of the week. Right. You know, what's interesting is I think about those stories. I think about all the contributions that you made to the system. I think about how all those things, every single thing you mentioned was received in a positive light. And I think it was received in a positive light because of the operator that you were, right? You earned a voice, you earned a seat at the table to be able to share that. And I think that that's what, I think something that I want every leader who's listening to this to understand is that being patient, working the process, being true to the values that you have, but also the values of the organization, those things earn you a voice to be able to say, hey, what about this? How can we make it better? What can we do differently? Right. To make this more of a win-win for everyone, and I think that's such a that's such an important lesson. Right. That I think sometimes, and again, you know, we were talking about this off podcast, but I think there's this sense of entitlement sometimes from leaders on really every end of the spectrum, whether they're owners or restaurateurs or executives or you know whoever. I think that there's this entitlement that, well, my my idea, you know, it wasn't it wasn't accepted, right? Right. Even though that. One meeting where you're talking one, two, three, four, right? Even that, like, that immediately wasn't accepted, right? It took a little bit of time for that to be absorbed, right? So I think for young leaders, I think that the lesson here is don't take your toys and go home. You know, stick with it. Stay with it. Right. Be diligent. Work the process. And then good things happen. You got to believe. You got to believe it. You got to believe it. I love it. That's awesome. So, 
I know you're a foodie. I know you love food. So what's your favorite, what's your go-to order at your favorite restaurant? Oh my, I love steak. Steak? Yeah. <laughs> if I can get a steak, I'll order a steak. We should have got the steak here, aren't we? At the Herford House. <laughs> we could have. Yeah, we absolutely could have. We absolutely could have. Um, what do you know now as a leader that you wish you would have known when you first started out? Hindsight is always a little better than foresight. Sure. And uh, it helps you understand the process. But uh, I've often said I'd love to be able to go back in my age and uh, be in my 20s or 30s again, but know what I know now. Right. Right. Wouldn't want to go there if I didn't know what I know. Exactly. You don't want to do that again. No. 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 Because no. 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 you do make mistakes. Yes. And I think that when you do make mistakes, don't be down by it. Don't uh, don't take it as a downer, and uh, you know, look at it as a part of the the, the training. It's uh, it's really just a time in your life when um, you made a decision that uh, you realize you could have made a better decision. So take that as a learning experience and be able to move forward with a, uh, the positive. Absolutely. Again, stay focused on the goal. Yeah. When you look at the industry now, what are you curious about? What what is it when you look at the industry across all the you know when you look across QSR, fast casual, you know fine dining? What are you curious about right now? It's a good question. I you know I, I'm interested in what the next steps are and what they're uh, what they're planning. Yeah. And uh, you know because I do find that exciting, uh, but. Uh, Curiosity. Um, I think sometimes if I, if I get too curious, uh, I may blow it. <laughs> I, I, I just uh, you know want to take it a day at a time, relax. Yeah. And being that I'm out of that business, uh, right. and not uh, doing it any any longer. Right. Right. Um, I do. Uh, I, I guess things in times. What would it be like if I was still in it? Mm. Yeah. And uh, you know, again, the pieces I enjoyed was the people. Yeah. Start right there and. Uh, I loved uh, setting the, the goals and, you know, trying to meet the objectives. And uh, I can answer that for you. It'd be a lot better if you were in it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I mean it. I mean it. So, you know, you talked about, just a, just a few seconds ago, you talked about not being afraid to fail. Correct. And that really failure is not fatal. It's really not. There's very few things in life that we're going to fail at that, that you know, is going to... But that's the mentality that we've been trained on in society today that we have to make sure we get away from. Yes, I totally agree. So I guess that's my question. So when you look back at your career, what have you failed at that actually has helped make you a better leader as a result of that? And be able to take that experience and apply it. When I got started, uh, I was pretty much a uh, kind of a tough guy. I was a, like a 130-pound, six-foot-tall beanpole <laughs> that uh, wasn't afraid to mix it up, wasn't afraid to get in your face uh, and uh, do as many things wrong as I can. As long as you did it my way, it was okay. Uh, and I had to learn that's not how you get a job done. Right. Not for the long term. Yep. You may get it done for now, but now you're going to lose somebody. Yep. Uh, your costs are going to go up. Yep. You're going to be less profitable. Um, I had to learn how to trust people. And when you trust them, you're trusting them with the keys to the store. Yeah. You're trusting them with the money that's in the, in the store. Absolutely. So uh, you're trusting them with the equipment. Uh, that, that stuff can cost you a lot more than the money you may have in the store at the time. No so, question about it. Yeah. So... Trust was a, a thing that I had to learn. So those were, uh, you know, some mistakes and, and, and sure. errors that I made. But yet at the same time, they were things that I didn't ignore. I, I did not uh, get into this self-proclaimed "I'm better than you" right. attitude, right. Uh, to where that I couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. I understood that, um, you know. There has to be a better way. So let's stop there for a second. And so, I had to be a part of that 
exactly. that answer. So, so when were you part of that answer? When, when was it in that career when you went from being that aggressive type of leader to understanding, look, there's a better way to do this. When was that that you realized that? It was, uh, I, I would put it more whenever I got into being a supervisor. Yeah. When I wound up uh, being in charge of uh, training and development, yeah. uh, presenting classes to managers sure. on, uh, um, you know, just exactly how do we right. uh, uh, handle our own attitudes? How do we uh, uh, take a person that's upset and bring them down to uh, an adult level to where we can actually, you know, get yeah. a get a deal done? Right. Exactly. So. And have a real conversation and correct. Just get it done. Right. Love it. Love it. When you think about the restaurant industry, and you know, you just mentioned training and development, you've had a lot of exposure to that over the years through McDonald's and through the training department and all those different things. But what's one thing in restaurant leadership that you feel like is not taught as much as it should be now? Like, is there anything that you see or that you've observed that we should do a better job of teaching? I think, you know, to me, it just seems like we've moved away from the human element. Uh, uh, we're treating people uh, as this is what we want you to do, and this is the way we expect you to do it, now go do it. Right. And, again, getting back to that culture. Yep. Uh, I don't know that we're necessarily embracing that. Um, as much as we should. Yeah. Why is that, do you think? What's the, you know... We were talking about this, it might have been earlier before we started recording, but but you said it, and I think it was spot on. There's a, when you embrace culture and you embrace that idea of it, that's one thing. But when you fund it, that's a completely different thing. Right, there is a cost to, to uh, making it happen, and you gotta be willing to um, accept that. Yep. And. You know, it, it's hard that when, when you see it working, it's hard not to justify what you're doing. Absolutely. So, um, you know, I, I think that we've got too many people that maybe are in business that uh, it's all about bottom line. And that's great. we got to have a bottom line. Got to have it. But if I can take, you know, one-tenth, two-tenths, three-tenths on the bottom line, and still make good money, but I can put that into my people to where I'm training, I'm getting the attitudes, I'm, I'm getting the um, uh, the image uh, projected to the uh, external customer. Right. I'm gonna go for it. I love it, I love it. I think that's, that's such an important lesson for everyone listening because there is that, there is that tension of having to manage ahead of the business a little bit and being able to invest ahead of the business a little bit but the return on investment what I hear you saying is that return and you've had experience with this that return on investment is incredible right with the right people with the right people in position doing the right things absolutely and creating that culture inside the restaurants it's almost it's almost incalculable you know when you think about the long term ripple effects of of what that looks like very true I'm sitting here 35 years later talking to you as a result of that. And I know you're very quick to want to point to your people and say it's them, it's not you, which is what all great leaders do. But the reality is, is you had the you had the foresight to say, we're gonna do this. I know it's gonna cost me money. I know it's an investment. It's not an investment really, maybe I'm even prepared to make right this second, but I'm gonna do that because I think it's the right thing to do. And I think that's paid off for you over the years so many ways from a culture standpoint to the way you operated your restaurants to the type of operator that I know you you were and I'll say are because you could step back into that any moment and be amazing but but I think that that's such an important thing for people to realize that culture doesn't happen by accident I mean everyone has a culture it may not be the culture you want but you've got one but the great culture we're talking about creating takes intentionality it takes investment and it takes time. It takes time. Well, each uh, step of the way, you know, we were able to inject different uh, uh, key elements that were 
needed at the time, whether it be uh, like a Mike Dyer for uh, yeah. uh, equipment. For equipment, sure. And, and uh, one of the things that uh, really helped us was, um, you know, we'd have a piece of equipment break down. Without Mike, we'd have to call somebody else to come in. It may take one or two days that piece of equipment is down. And I got employees that are, uh, that are being, uh, you know, they're upset because they can't do their job. We expect them to do something, but we don't give them the tools to do it with. And so when we hired Mike, Mike's jolly on the spot. He's in there. He's getting it work, getting it fixed. People are seeing it happening. And, um, you know, people's attitudes generally stayed positive on that. When we found out, and we, we'd have rap sessions and things sure. like when we find out, hey, something was down longer than it should have been, then we'd go back in and try to investigate why was that down. Right. And we'd develop different systems of communication yep. so that we would not allow that to take place. I forgot you know, about we, that. We have, yeah. we have, you know, Carrie McKelvey of came course. in. Man, I tell you what, Carrie was a, a godsend. Such I mean, a great guy. Uh, yeah, just, yeah, one of them, it still is. I mean, he's uh, doing a great job for the corporation and... Uh, uh, really appreciated uh, the time that uh, we had uh, had together. Brian Trummel, yep. you know, great guy. Stacy Waller, yep. you know, of course, uh, you know, Sharon or uh, Monty Gensler yep. was a supervisor at one time. Yep. And, yep. Uh, all those people, uh, you know, kept getting us to that next level uh, that we needed to go to. So let's talk about facilities for a second because I totally forgot about Mike. So when you made that choice, like, hey, we're going to bring this in-house. We're not going to wait for General Parts or, or for GCS or whoever it might right. be. So was there anyone else doing that at the time? I think there was a few operators that had, uh, had uh, people, but they were operating at different levels. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that we did with Mike was uh, uh, we took the needs of other operators yeah. in the system into account to where that if there was a need out there and another operator would call, hey, could I get some help with this? Yeah, we'd send, oh, I'm fine, thank you very much. Um, we'd send Mike over wow. to help another operator out. Because, you know, that's that's somewhat now of an industry standard, mm-hmm. having that facility's ownership is what is what we called it at Chipotle, right. was the ownership mm-hmm. program, right, where you're teaching people how to maintain their equipment, you know, how to maintain you know, their toasters and all those things, right? So so it was kind of that facility's ownership. So it's kind of that in-house program right. that we started with Mike. It's easy. It, it, it's good to have uh, management understand how a piece of equipment works. Of course. And uh, should it break down, I know what's causing that. I don't right. have the tools to fix right. it. Right, exactly. Can you come and uh, yep. check this out, see if that's not what it is? Yep. And... Uh, Otherwise, you're paying a manager a pretty high salary right. to do to fix right. maybe right. a screw. Right, <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Art, is there anything I haven't asked that you think I should ask you? No, quite frankly, I, th- I thought you did a great job of the uh, the list and uh, all the things. And uh, such a great conversation. Really, uh, really enjoyed uh, you know discussing some of the you know things and. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm sure there's always things that you can come back on and yep. think about that uh, you could have injected, but, uh, sure. you know, that's that's for another day, maybe. Well, I want to thank you again for you taking the time to have lunch with me and to allow me to interview you. Again, uh, I got my start in this business because you took a chance on a 16-year-old kid in Blue Springs, and I'll never forget that, and... It really changed my life. And I've been having this conversation with people in these interviews, and it's amazing to me how many different examples there are of people who could have gone a different path, they could have taken a different direction, but because of somebody investing in them and seeing something in them they didn't see in themselves, it literally changed their life, and you did that for me. I appreciate it, and uh, I, I tell you what, you are a light that I, I love to, to follow on Facebook and to see what's going on and what you're doing. And uh, I just, uh, I think about the, the days when you started and all that and how you've grown. I mean, uh, you know, you got to give credit to where credit's due and, and, and you deserve the credit for your hard work, uh, the efforts that you put in. Um, you could have taken everything that I said and just kind of threw it under the rug, but you didn't. 
and uh, it's paid off for you. And now you're touching lives of other people. You're making a difference in other people. Uh, and that, that how, how many how many people is that going to touch? Because they're going to take that message and do it to somebody else. So. I don't know, thousands, tens of thousands. I mean, just, just uh, you know, keep up doing the good work you're doing and keep writing the books and, uh, you know, we'll let everything else, we'll let history tell tell the story later on. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Bobby, thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Cutting Onions podcast and my conversation with Art Phillips. I hope you were as inspired as I was in listening to Art share stories of his leadership journey and how he built an incredible career and inspired generations of other leaders in his organization. If you're enjoying this podcast, please leave us a review and a rating wherever you consume podcast content. We're on all the major platforms, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Deezer, Spreaker, iTunes, we're everywhere. So I would encourage you to please leave us a review and a rating. It would mean a lot to us. It would help us stay relevant in the ever-growing land of podcasts. So thank you very much again. Hope you all had a happy Thanksgiving. And we'll see you next week for another episode. The music in this podcast, Walking Strong, was created and composed by Chris Zimmer.